Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 24, covering verses 9 to 31. And I titled this morning's message, The Signs of His Second Coming. This particular chapter, as I shared last week, has a lot of um, different opinions of it. You have people that approach it from different viewpoints. Some see it as being something future and prophetic and yet to be fulfilled. And others see it as something that has been historically fulfilled already. I think it's important, as I shared last week, that for me, and and as I've studied Bible prophecy, when I read Matthew 24, uh, there are elements of it that are difficult to, to try and piece together. But for the most part, I think it's pretty simple. And I I, I believe that it's a chapter out of God's Word that was perfect for the timing for these disciples to hear. Remember that Jesus is almost ready to go to the cross and that he was going to depart from this earth. And he had also given them words that really caused some real stirring in their hearts. It alarmed them with some of the words that Jesus was saying to them as he left that temple mount. But when it comes to Bible prophecy and the interpretation of Scripture, I I shared last week that I'm a literalist. I I take a literal approach towards biblical prophecy unless it tells me that it's symbolic. Otherwise, I I read it for what it says, and I think that's the best approach. It's been said that if the literal sense makes good sense, then seek no other sense lest you come up with nonsense. And there's been a lot of that. There's a lot of people that get into Bible prophecy and have turned it into a lot of just strange things. And there are others that have minimized it, and really, uh, I I believe that in itself is not good for us as believers. We need to be aware of the times that we're living in, the days that we're living in. Uh, We have one couple in this church that was going to a church that Bible prophecy was never brought up. The book of Revelation was never taught in all the years that they attended. And they were hungry. And I was told how excited they were to hear somebody speak about end times. I think it's important for us as believers to know. I, as I went on through chapter 24, I I almost felt like I needed to back up a little bit. And so we're going to do that in a little bit of a way, but we're going, to, we're going to continue on. But I'm going to take us back a little bit, and I want to take us back to the book of Daniel. If you could turn there to Daniel chapter 9. The Jews, they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians, and I want you to make note of this, in 605 B.C. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and and, uh, they they came in and they tore down the temple. They took the Jews into captivity. 
the year of Daniel writing this particular prophecy, they have dated it somewhere around 560, 530 B.C. Uh, This is actually 560 years before Jesus was speaking the words that we're reading here in Matthew 24. But look at your Bibles at Daniel chapter 9. I've gone through this before, but I think it's appropriate for us to go through it again in light of our text this morning. Daniel here is receiving this prophecy from the Lord, and we read in verse 24, it says that 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. You can underline that portion of it. Uh, 70 weeks are determined for your people, and I believe this is speaking of God's people, Israel, and your holy city, speaking of Jerusalem. And then he says, this is what the 70 weeks are determined for, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And then he goes on in verse 25. He says, Know therefore and understand. Now underline those words. They're important. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, which happened in March, on March 14, 445 B.C., you can read of that in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, where King Artaxerxes gave the command to go and to rebuild the walls in the, in the city. And then it goes on, and tell Messiah the prince... There shall be seven weeks. Now, this seven weeks of sevens, each week represented years. And so this seven weeks is equal to 49 years. It took 49 years to rebuild the walls and the temple. And then it says, and 62 weeks will follow that. So seven weeks of 62 weeks equals equals 69 weeks. We're told that the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And then look at verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, or 483 years, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince... Now, this, I believe, is a reference to the Antichrist. The people of the prince who is to come, in other words, Rome, uh, the the, uh, Gentiles, uh, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. And so we have in this prophecy 69 of the 70 weeks that were determined against his people and Jerusalem, 69 of those weeks have been fulfilled. They're already done. So then the question arises, what about the 70th week? And why do we as believers believe in a seven-year tribulation period that is going to come upon? Now remember, it's against God's people. 
uh, that this is determined. And then it lists all those things that are going to be accomplished during these 70 weeks. But then it's also against Jerusalem and the holy city. God's prophetic time clock, I believe, stopped, so to speak, with the Messiah being killed and the destruction of the temple that happened there in 70 AD. Now, we've already talked about this, that this this time clock stopped, and now we are living in what is called the church age. 2,000-plus years have transpired from the time that the temple was destroyed by Titus in 70 AD. We're living in what we call, really going back to the, uh, the day of Pentecost, the church age. We're living in that time, 2,000 years. We could call it the time or the age of grace that we're living in as a church. This prophetic time clock is going to resume again when the Antichrist confirms a covenant for one week, which will, be, which will fulfill that 70th week of Daniel. Now, look at verse 27 in Daniel. Then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That week is that seven-year period of time that we call the tribulation period. But in the middle of the week, which it would be three and a half years, he, I believe speaking of the Antichrist, shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now turn to Daniel chapter 12 and look at verse 4. This is the last chapter of Daniel. This prophecy or this uh, knowledge to Daniel is continuing. He goes on and he says in verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and then underline this, knowledge shall increase. Now, what is the knowledge that he's talking about? People have uh, come up with different interpretations for this. Some have thought, well, just our increase in knowledge and all the scientific and all the things is going to increase. I believe the knowledge increasing is concerning the prophecies that were laid out to Daniel and the things that are about to come to pass or the, the time of the end. Verse 5 says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. So here there's these two angels standing on one uh, river bank and one on the other. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Asking a question. And so these two angels are having this discussion with the Lord. And then in verse 7, it says, Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half a time. Now that is another reference in a way of saying three and a half years. And then it says, And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered... 
All of these things shall be finished. Now keep in mind that the 70 weeks of Daniel are determined against God's people, Israel. What is the tribulation period primarily for? Its focus is upon God's people, Israel. And God is going to accomplish these things. There is going to be great suffering for Israel as they have rejected uh, Jesus Christ as Messiah as well as the Gentiles that are going to go into the tribulation period. But the focus is upon Israel. They are going to be completely shattered. This is the nation of Israel. God is going to work a work in him. He's really being merciful, but he's being faithful to the promises that he made to Israel. God is not done with Israel. He still is going to accomplish all that he promised to them, all of the covenants that he made to them. And then look at verse 8. He says, although I heard, this is Daniel, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Daniel saying, I heard these things, but I don't understand. And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till when? The time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And so here's this prophecy that was given to Daniel. This is really a key passage as to why I believe the Bible teaches there's a seven-year tribulation period, and that the focus of that tribulation period is the nation of Israel. He goes on and he says in verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away. You know what we're going to be reading in Matthew 24. But from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there's going to be 1,290 days. This is very specific, isn't it? Remember I said I'm a literalist. I read that and it it gives me these particular days. 1,290 days that's spelled out there. I'm not going to spiritualize it. I'm going to say that's 1,290 days. That's three and a half years. You say, well, three and a half years actually by a Jewish calendar comes out to 1,260 days because the Jewish calendar had 360 days in it, not 365 like what we use. So we have 1,260 days, but here it's being said that it'll be 1,290 days. So there's this additional 15 days. Now look what it says in verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days... So if you were to take that 30 days and then you were going to take this additional 45 days, that leaves this 75-day period of time that is going to follow after the seven-year tribulation period and before the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ begins. There's going to be this 75-day period of time. The blessed ones that he's speaking of here, I believe, are those who are going to survive during the tribulation period. This 75-day period that 
uh, comes to an end at the end of the tribulation with the second coming of Jesus Christ, 75 days will transpire after that before the millennial reign of Christ will begin. It'll be during this 75-day period, I believe, that the temple, the desolation of abomination, when the Antichrist sets up his image, that that temple is going to be cleansed. Remember that there's going to be this new Jerusalem here on earth. The millennial reign of Christ is going to begin. And the Jews are going to come back into their city, and Christ is going to reign for a thousand years. That temple is going to be cleansed during that time. When we get to chapter 25 of Matthew, we're going to read about the judgment of the nations. The judgment of the nations are the Gentile nations and how they treated Israel during the tribulation and really through the whole time of history, not just the tribulation period, but how they and what they did with the nation of Israel. We're going to read that in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 46. It's going to be the judgment of the nations. But then he says to Daniel, verse 13, look at your Bibles, but you, Daniel, go your way till the end, for you shall rest. Don't you love that? (laughs) He's telling Daniel, you know, go your way, Daniel, for you shall rest. That's wording for somebody that's going to be in heaven someday. Daniel, you're going to rest. And and then it says, and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. At the end of the days. That's really a promise to Daniel. Daniel didn't understand it. The point is, is that we're living in a day and age where prophecy has been unfolding to us. We've seen things in our lifetime unfolded to us. Primarily one of the biggest things is Israel becoming a nation in 1948. For that to happen, for us to see that, that was biblical prophecy coming forward. It's showing that God's time clock, that God is working in this, even with the nation of Israel, them becoming a nation once again. He says, go your way till the end, Daniel. In other words, he's telling Daniel, Daniel, occupy until I come. What are we called to do as believers? Occupy until he comes. We're to make good use of our time here on this earth until the Lord comes back. We're called to occupy. We're not called to go up on the mountain, sit there and wait for the rapture. We're called to occupy until he comes. This prophecy of Daniel... I believe has this, and I think this is important for us to know. I believe that Daniel's prophecy here has a historical fulfillment, but it also has a future fulfillment. And this is where people get it all mixed up. I believe that the historical fulfillment happened in 167 B.C. when Antichus Epiphanes went in and defiled the temple. He slaughtered a pig. He actually destroyed uh, parts of the temple, sought to kill the Jews, slaughtered a pig, sacrificed it in the Jewish temple, and he and it was the, des- uh, the abomination of desolation. It was a fulfillment in history. The question, though, has been raised if, if Daniel is prophesying about Antichus Epiphanes, fulfilling that historical event that happened in 167 uh, B.C., 
then why would Jesus be using the abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 24 that is there for the purpose of being a very distinct marker within the seven-year tribulation period that we just read about in Daniel 9, a very distinct marker that at the middle of the tribulation there was going to be this desolation of abomination. And I believe that it's, it's important to know that I believe that Daniel's prophecy, yes, it was historical and in a a sense partially fulfilled with Antichus Epiphanes, but it is also going to be fulfilled in the seven-year tribulation when the Antichrist, who is a type of that, comes on the scene and sets up his image within the temple at that three-and-a-half-year mark. Jesus said... In Matthew 24, verse 15, back in our text, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, he says, let him understand. What did we just read in Daniel's prophecy about understanding and having an understanding? And the Lord telling Daniel, These things are not for your understanding yet, Daniel. Seal them up, but they will be revealed in the end times. Well, what are we in? I believe we're in the end times. As believers, we're seeing these these events. We're seeing the signs. We're seeing the things unfolding. We're seeing Israel become a nation once again. We're hearing of wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and all those things and earthquakes and diverse places. We're in those days. We're looking at the characteristic and the signs that his day is drawing closer. Last week, we looked at verses 1 to 8. In verses, uh, and we'll just look at this a little bit more further. It says in verse 1, Then Jesus went out and he departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him, came to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all of these things? Assuredly, I say, do not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. That Jewish revolt that began, the Jews started rebelling against Rome. Titus came in with his army, and in 70 AD, he took the temple and he took it down stone by stone. But did you know that his intentions were never really to take the temple down? He would have wanted to leave that there. But what happened and what Josephus and some historians have said is that the temple was set on fire by the soldiers. And the gold that lined that temple, that it was melted down. And to extract that gold, they actually literally took that temple apart stone by stone and extracted the gold from that that temple. And thus, it fulfilled what the Lord said, there would not be one stone left upon another that would not be thrown down. The Babylonians tore down Solomon's temple, the first temple, in 586 B.C., The Romans tore down the second temple in 70 A.D. under Titus, General Titus. But the Bible says that there's going to be a third temple 
that is going to be built. That third temple is going to come into existence, and it may come into existence in the first part of the tribulation period, but it is going to be up and running by the middle of the tribulation. And the reason I know that is because of Matthew 24, 15. At that three-and-a-half-year mark, the desolation of abomination, when the Antichrist goes into that temple to set up his image, it's going to be a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. What has to happen for that to take place? Well, we're living in the days right now as a church. We're able to see that Israel became a nation. 2,000 years they were put into uh, exile by the Babylonians and 70 years in captivity that they were there. They've gone through these 2,000 years of all kinds of the nations coming up and trying to really destroy the nation of Israel, and they're still here today. 1948, rebirthed as a nation. You know, World War II, six million Jews that were put to death. I mean, there's a satanic influence against the nation of Israel that God is going to be faithful to his people. But they also need to be in control of the Temple Mount, don't they? It's believed that possibly through this covenant that the Antichrist is going to make, uh, this uh, some kind of an agreement that it may allow the Jews to once again rebuild their temple. Now, currently, the Arabs control the Temple Mount. I've been there. You can't go up there and have a prayer meeting as Christians, and the Jews can't go up there and do anything in the in the name of their God because it's ran and controlled by the Arabs, and it's because Israel gave that over to them. Uh, that's just probably prophecy being fulfilled also. But they gave it to the Arabs. But there, at some point in this agreement, this temple that is going to be, this third temple that's going to stand once again, is going to be back in place. There's a organization called the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute is uh, behind the making of all of the things that are going to go back into the temple. Everything that is needed for the priest to start sacrificing again and making offerings to the Lord have all been constructed to the specifications in the Bible. They have them today. And if you were to ask one of the leaders, and it's been asked of the leaders of the Temple Institute, if you had the go-ahead to be able to rebuild your temple, how long would it take? They literally will tell you this. We believe we'll have it built within three to four months. That's how zealous they are towards seeing their temple rebuilt. This is all prophecy that is going to be unfolding, I believe, even in the near future. They're going to have to be able to build their temple once again. They're also going to have to be able to uh, give offerings and make offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. See, they're, they, without a temple, the Jews without a temple, they can't do that. And so that's why they're waiting for this third temple. But that all falls into the scheme of the Antichrist. It comes up, allows them to build it, and it's going to be deception. Because it's not going to be until the middle of the tribulation period that the Antichrist is going to demand that the Jews worship him as God. And he's going to set up his image there in that temple. We're told in verse 3 of Matthew, now as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples, they came. And I know that I've covered this, but I want to bring out a few more things leading up to 15. The disciples came to Jesus, and they're doubly concerned right now with the words that Jesus had just spoken to them about their temple being thrown down and their house becoming desolate. 
And then Jesus, uh, the disciples come to Jesus privately and they say, tell us, Jesus, when will these things be? That was their question. That was their concern. They were referring back to Jesus talking about the temple being tore down stone by stone. And then we read, and what will be the sign of your coming, they asked. What will be the sign of your, of your coming? They were speaking about his second coming. That's what the Jews would have known in their mind. They weren't speaking here of the rapture of the church. They're speaking about the second coming. This is very Jewish in what we're reading. And then they said, and what will be the end of the age? Remember the Jews, they thought we live in this age and then there's the age to come. That's the only two things that we're living in this age now and then there's the age to come. And the age to come was the messianic kingdom of their Messiah. That's what they thought when their Messiah came. That's why they kept questioning Jesus. Are you going to set up your kingdom here and now? That's what they were looking for. And so that's what they're asking here. What will be the end of the age? And they were speaking of that messianic kingdom age. In verses 4 to 14, Jesus is going to give them and give us the conditions that lead up to the tribulation. And it includes, I believe in these verses, the first half of the tribulation period. So keep that in your thoughts as we're reading through here. It includes all of the days that we're living in now. The, 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 church hit, uh, the, the church age that we're in now, and then even into the first half of the tribulation period. Jesus says uh, to them, to his disciples in verse 4, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. And then you need to underline this. But the end is not yet. Those are important words. Uh, The end is not yet. And so in response to their question, that these three questions that they have, Jesus goes through and begins to give them the warnings. We talked about this. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. That's the first thing that he says to them. Take heed for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will deceive many. And then he also says, He says, watch, for you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see that you are not troubled by these things or alarmed into thinking that uh, this must be it. And that's really what the Jews, they were looking for something catastrophic to happen. Wars uh, uh, erupting and and, and, uh, nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. They were looking for that as being the sign of the Messiah coming back. Jesus tells them, don't be troubled by what I'm saying to you. Don't be alarmed at what I'm saying to you. But then he says, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And then he goes into verse 7, and he talks about these birth pains that we've been talking about increasing. The birth pains are going to increase to the point of verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In other words, the local wars and rumors of wars in verse 6 
are going to escalate into something more intense. It's going back to those birth pains again. Now they start out kind of mild and they get stronger and stronger and they get longer and longer and of more mag- that's that's the picture that we're getting here that these wars and rumors of wars were going to turn into world wars. Well, we know, and we could say that a fulfillment of that prophecy, we know World War I, 1914. We have World War II, 1939. But we're also looking for a coming third world war that is going to transpire. And I believe we're going to either see that before the rapture of the church or leading into the tribulation period. Here's some of the things that I just looked up just this morning. Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem Post, uh, dated August uh, 28, 2016, it says, Top Iranian Admiral uh, said this, that the U.S. lacks the power to confront the Iranian military. That was just today. That, that, you've, have you seen the news? They're out there with our ships out there right now, and they're taking their little boat, and they're, they're actually toying with us out there right now. They're trying to taunt our U.S. carriers out there. Uh, that's what they're saying right now. They're, they're, they're putting us on the edge to say, you know what? You can't do anything against us. August 27th of this year, Israeli Defense Forces preparing for scenario in which hundreds of terrorists from the Sinai will attack Israel. That's the headline. Just yesterday. Eight days ago, uh, Russia increases their military presence near the Ukraine border. These are all headlines that I'm reading to you. Uh, August 28, 2016, North Korea threatens, uh, threatens uh, says that, uh, that they are able to reach the USA with a nuclear warhead. That's the threat that they're making to us. August 28th, North Korea threatens those that are on the South Korea border. They threatened them that they were going to open up war with them. We are in a place right now, and that's just, that's just me looking at a few of the headlines. If you go on and look at what's going on in our world right now, you can see where this time of nation rising against kingdom, kingdom against kingdom, that we're on the threshold, really, of another world war. Jesus went on to tell his disciples there would be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Now, what's interesting is if you look at the book of Revelation, uh, you will see how these correspond. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24 here, you'll see how it corresponds to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 is when the seal judgments are broken, when the seals are broken. The first seal, do you remember what it is? Everybody, the first seal when it is loosed is the white horse. And it's, I believe, a picture of the Antichrist that is going to come on the scene with deception. The second seal is the red horse, which speaks of war. The third seal is the black horse, which speaks of famine. The fourth seal is the pale horse, which speaks of death. The fifth seal is the cry of the martyrs. And the sixth seal is a great earthquake. All of those are things that are transpiring during the seven-year tribulation period of time. Jesus is saying in Matthew 24, here's the things leading up to that time and into the first part 
or the first half of the tribulation period. The seventh seal unleashes the next set of judgments, which are the trumpet judgments. There's going to be an increase in the shortage of food and famine, and it's going to increase as time goes on. That's what we're living in now. That's why we are able to look in our world right now and go, is the Lord coming closer? Is that day drawing closer? Well, just look at your, your world right now. Look what's going on. Are we hearing of wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against kingdom and kingdom again? You know, are, are we seeing signs of that around us right now? Are we seeing uh, pestilence and problems with that? Are we seeing earthquakes increasing? All of these things, Jesus says, are the characteristics and the signs leading up to my second coming. That's important to know. But then Jesus says this. Uh, actually, in Luke's gospel, a parallel to Matthew 24 here, Luke 21:11, it says that there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence. And it says, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. These are all the signs. These are things that to be looking for. Then Jesus says to his disciples, all of these are the beginning of sorrows. It's just the beginning of the birth pains. This is, just, this is just leading up to the delivery. You see what I'm saying? You, mothers, you know. It, it starts here and it goes, and then you deliver. This is leading up. Jesus says these are the beginning of the birth pains. It's not yet. The time has not come yet. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I've said this, I believe chapter 24 has a, just a very Jewish emphasis to it. He's speaking to his disciples here in this conversation. He's saying that they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Now, I also believe in this particular case that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and that these words of our Lord were going to be fulfilled in their personal lives, even as they themselves were going to be killed and martyred and delivered up. But I also believe that in a general sense, it's referring to all believers who follow after Jesus Christ. I believe that we could take that away from that. If you follow after Christ, you will be as that day of things will increase. There will be more persecution, more tribulation that will come against you. But also thinking ahead into the tribulation period with the Jews, it will also be that. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And we know that there's going to be many, many that are going to be martyred for their faith during the tribulation period. Anti-Semitism is on the rise in our world. This is not by chance. The spiritual implications that is happening with the nation of Israel right now and and the anti-Semitism that is growing stronger and stronger towards God's people, it's all part of what God said it was going to come to pass. We know that during the tribulation period that the Jews are going to suffer but also the Gentiles are going to suffer greatly uh, during this period of time. And so its, its implications are broad. We're going to see in chapter 5 this judging of the Gentile nations. 
That's important for us to know. Do you know that all of the, the judging of the Gentiles, the time of the Gentiles that we read about in Luke's gospel, chapter 21, verse 24, it, it, it began really when, uh, when the Jews were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. That's what started the timeline for the, what's referred to as the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles is not going to finish until the end of the tribulation period and until, really, until this judgment where they're going to be judged. In verse 10 it says, And many, and I believe this many is speaking again of the Jews, and then many will be offended. Uh, That word offended means that many will fall away. Many Jews will fall away. Many Jews will stumble and they will betray one another. Even Jew against Jew, betraying one another. They'll turn against one another. Kind of like Judas, how Judas turned against Jesus and betrayed him. It says they will betray one another and they will hate one another. This is all characteristics of what's happening even with the nation of Israel. We also read in verse 12, and because lawlessness, or the King James Version reads, because of iniquity, because of iniquity or because of sin, that sin will abound, Jesus says the love of many are, is going to grow cold. And the, the growing cold of love, it, it's kind of like that, that wax that gets all hot when it's melting. When it begins to cool off, what's it do? It begins to harden. The love of many is going to wax cold. It's going to become cold as sin and iniquity abounds, as it increases. Do you think, are we seeing that in how in our world? I mean, do you see the love of people? The love in our world. Think about that. Think even in the hearts of believers. As things get worse and worse, that, that love that's been poured out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit is what's supposed to just be coming forth out of our lives upon this world that knows no love, that doesn't experience the kind of love that we've experienced knowing Christ. Here Jesus says that this lawlessness, this abounding iniquity, it's going to increase so much that the love of many is going to begin to grow cold. But Jesus goes on to say, in verse 13, but he who endures till the end will be saved. Jesus is saying that genuine faith, real faith, it's evidence with persistence. He who endures to the end, he's not talking about working our way. He's not talking about them working their way. He's talking about that persistence, that genuine evidence that they're really know Christ, they'll be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then what does Jesus say? Verse 14, then the end will come. Some have gotten tripped up by this verse. Lots of missions agencies have been tripped up by this verse because they say with it, Jesus couldn't come back yet. And the reason why he couldn't come back, because we still have people groups and we have places in the world where people haven't heard the gospel yet. So I could tell you that Jesus couldn't come back yet. Uh, what, they're, what they're missing here is the fact that Jesus gave the Great Commission 
to his disciples and to the church in, in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and to preach the gospel. He did not say that God was going to accomplish world evangelism through the church. But what we do see in a number of places throughout Scripture is that God will fulfill what he said here that we're reading in Matthew. Even though the Great Commission was given to us as the church, we are not the only instrument that God is going to use. In Revelation chapter 7, during the tribulation period, I believe that there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists. It says 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we read in chapter 7, verse 9, that after the the, uh, establishing of these 144,000, it says, after these things... I believe speaking of the 12,000 from each tribe that make up this 144,000. John says, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. And look what it says, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. And what are they doing? They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb and they're clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is during the tribulation period. John is seeing a vision of this multitude of people that no one could number standing in these white robes before God. So there is going to be many multitudes of people that are going to be saved during the tribulation period. That's God's mercy. We also have the two witnesses of chapter 11 in Revelation. Uh, Many believe uh, could possibly be Moses and Elijah that uh, are going to come and that we're told that they go prophesying and doing signs and wonders for three and a half years. I believe that through these two witnesses that there's going to be many that are going to come to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. We also have Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. John saw this. He says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of the heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That sounds pretty much like everybody, doesn't it? So in other words, the last call, the last herald that goes out, tribulation period God sends forth his angel and goes and and proclaims the everlasting gospel to the peoples of the earth and this is what the angel is saying saying with a loud voice fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of the water do you see a difference in that message than what we go out with now this is the final plea to the people on the earth, that they're, 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 it's their last hope of salvation. And God is using an angel to do that, to proclaim this everlasting gospel. Keep in mind that at this point, Jesus is answering the disciples' questions concerning the signs of his second coming and also the end of the age. He's not dealing here at this point with the rapture. And this is where people, you know, when people start, they, well, we're talking about the rapture. Jesus gave his disciples in these verses that we just covered three more things that would transpire before his second coming. He says that persecution 
will increase. They're going to deliver you up to tribulation. They're going to kill you. You're going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That's one thing that he said. He says, many are going to fall away. They're going to betray one another and they're going to hate one another. That's another sign that Jesus says before his second coming. He says, lawlessness will abound and the love of many is going to grow cold. There's the third thing that he says. But can you imagine a world without the church? The church meaning you and I that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can you imagine the whole entire world without one believer left after the rapture? What this world will be like. How iniquity will abound. How, the lo- how, how that will prog- quickly go bad. That's, I believe, what Jesus is describing, what it will be like. It will escalate as time goes on. And then we come to verse 15, and we're almost done for today. Verse 15, I believe, is the second half of the tribulation period. It's why I took you back to Daniel chapter 9 and talked to you about the the prophecy concerning a seven-year tribulation period of time. And what was given to Daniel about the desolation of abomination that would happen in the middle of the tribulation period. Jesus says in verse 15, he starts with the word what? Therefore. Therefore, because of what he just said prior to that, and this is the marker. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place... Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, let me ask you, where is Judea? Where is it? Where's the location? It's in Israel, isn't it? Uh, So for him to say, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, I think we're talking about Jews fleeing from where? They're fleeing from the holy city. They're fleeing from Jerusalem. Why are they fleeing? Because during the middle of the tribulation period, you read in the book of Revelation that the Antichrist and his armies are going to come. They're going to take control of the temple there, the Temple Mount, and the center of Israel there. They're going to take control of that and his armies. And at the middle of the tribulation, when he sets his image up, and really the the false prophet does that, sets his image up in that temple, he's going to demand that he be worshipped as God. It's going to be at that point that the Jews are going to realize we've been deceived. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When you see this desolation of abomination take place, I'm telling you ahead of time, that's what Jesus is saying. Then flee, those who are in Judea, flee to the mountains. Now the mountains that I believe that he's talking about really is an area in the Hebrew called Basra. In the Greek, it's called Petra. Many of you have seen the pictures of that, uh, that city of Petra. I believe that's where the Jews are going to flee to. It's going to be a remnant of Jews that are going to realize they've been deceived by this false Messiah, the Antichrist, and they're going to make their way out of that city, and they're going to head towards this area of Petra where God is going to have his hand of protection upon them for that last three and a half years of time before he's going to draw in that last remnant of his people. But look what he says in verse 17. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. He's speaking to the Jews. He's telling them that 
Time is of the essence. The housetop was part of their living quarters. Those of you, it's a, it's a way of saying as you're sitting there, he says, don't even go into your house to grab your things to go. Just simply come down and flee. Why? Because the Antichrist is on a rampage to basically wipe out every Jew that he can. Let him, verse 18, who was in the field, as they're working in the field, not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. That woe is speaking of the urgency of going, but even the women that are going to be pregnant, those that are nursing. He says, and pray, verse 20, that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath, again, it's all Jewish, isn't it? Because to the Jew... Uh, the Sabbath, everything in Israel, think transportation shuts down. Those that are practicing Jews, they don't travel very far on the Sabbath. Pray that your flight is not in winter because it'll be difficult. And pray that it won't be on the Sabbath. For then there will be what? Look at your Bibles, verse 21. Great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. You know, when I read those words, those are words that, in a sense, they should take our breath away. When you think of the judgment, and I believe that the seven-year tribulation period is going to be a time that God is pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. And when you read a verse like that, uh, that this great tribulation, that that it's never been like this before, it's going to be extreme. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It should be, it should be something to go, whoa. And even to the point where Jesus says in verse 22, and unless those days were shortened, speaking about that last three and a half years, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, and I believe the elect is not speaking about the elect as the church. I believe it's speaking of the elect, God's chosen people, Israel, But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Why? Because God's going to be faithful to Israel. He is going to save a remnant of his people, Israel, because of his promises to them. And he's saying, unless I intervene, unless I intervene into man's affairs, unless this comes to an end, at the end of that seven years, there would not be one that would survive. Verse 23 Then if anyone says to you, look here is the Christ or there, do not believe. And we know that the Antichrist and his deception and the false prophet are going to be um, coming and there are going to be people trying to really lure Israel out of that safe haven and that place. He says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive even, if possible, even the elect. And so we know that the, um, uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet, that they both are going to be doing supernaturally, doing these kinds of signs and wonders to deceive many during the tribulation time. This is really Jesus telling his people, Israel, beware because there will be false Christs and there will be false prophets showing great signs. They will be looking to deceive you. He's warning them. Look what he says in verse 25. See, I have told you beforehand. Why would he want to tell them beforehand? He wants to tell them to warn them ahead of time. 
Do you think everybody reading this, what do you think they're going to read when it comes down to the tribulation period? See, I've told you these things ahead of time. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, it's going to be sudden. But it's also going to be visible at his second coming. It's also going to be very terrifying to those that are here on the earth. He says, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Some have interpreted that carcass, the word actually means body, and they refer it, make reference to it as being Israel, and that the eagles can be translated vultures, and it's a reference to Gentiles, because there is going to be this uh, front against Israel in the very last, right at the second coming of Christ, out there in Basra, where there's going to be this battle that's going on to really try and take every Jew and kill every Jew that's there. Then look at verse 29, and we'll finish at verse 31. Immediately, this is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Immediately. After the tribulation of those days, and I believe we're speaking about the seven-year tribulation period, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe it's going to happen like in a full eclipse. In other words, all the the sun blackened out, the moon darkened. It's going to be, and when he comes, his Shekinah glory. Could you imagine what that would look like? If all of a sudden there was a full eclipse around this whole world, and the Shekinah glory of the Lord just bursting out of heaven and lighting up the sky at Christ's second coming. Remember what the disciples asked, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? If you want to know what it's going to be, this is what you'll look for. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun is going to be darkened. The moon's not going to give its light. The stars are going to fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then look at verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather and here's the faithfulness of God they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other that he's going to gather and God's going to use an angel and however he's going to bring Israel back into their land those that have fleed those that have been dispersed those that are out there he's going to bring that remnant of Israel back into Israel because it's going to be those that get saved those that endure blessed are those that that make it through the tribulation period and make it into those 75 days that are going to follow before the millennium because it's going to be the Jews and Gentiles that are going to be, that remain alive, that are going to go what? Into the millennial kingdom. Only those, they're going to, they're going to be go right into the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ. Incredible. I love this. I love it, but I, but, but on the other hand, I, I read it and I go, but God, uh, there's so many people that I know that don't know you. Uh, we, we sit here just in this secure place, this church, and, and Lord, how thankful I am 
that I know you. When there's so many in the wickedness and the the people in this world that don't know you. So many that still need to come. But Lord, I'm looking forward to your your return. I'm looking forward to that day. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.